Let me tell you a little bit about my story up to the point I got saved. Um, so, as you can see, I was brought up uh, on this next slide coming up uh, in a military camp in England. My dad was in a military band. Um, and uh, so I grew up for the first few years of my life actually living on a military camp where they trained the officers, which is an interesting start to life. Um, but unfortunately, my parents, uh, it didn't go so well. So by the age of six, uh, my parents separated, they got divorced. And I found myself at the age of eight, uh, moving with my mum down to the south of England to a county called Dorset. It's a very beautiful part of the world. Um, the problem was, though, is whilst it was beautiful, when you're a teenager, it was incredibly boring. And uh, so, as, as you do, you start turning to the wrong things. And uh, so I started to turn to all sorts of things to fill my life as I went through my teenage years. And by the age of about 16, my life was filled with, of aggression and selfishness, bitterness, swearing, wrong relationships, drinking, all sorts, really. I even tried smoking, but fortunately didn't like it. So praise the Lord for that one. Um, but tragically, I made my mum's life a misery. I was just not a nice person. In the world's eyes, I was okay. I was, I was okay, but behind the scenes, I was not a nice person. It got so bad that at the age of 16, my mum asked me to leave. I was just 16 years of age. It's very hard for her, I think. Um, and I found myself at this place on the next slide... Um, which was not far from there. This is a place called Poole, still in the county of Dorset. And uh, I lived there on my own for a few weeks, and then my mum graciously took me back in. But this is where I went to do my A-levels, and A-levels are the same as grade 11, 12 here. Um, and I'd been training to be a concert pianist. That was uh, what my natural skills were in, but I was a little bit lazy. Um, so I found myself doing two years there, my grade 11, 12, and I was specialising in music, and my long-term dream in life was to go to a royal conservatoire. There's a few of them in England, uh, several in London, one in Scotland, but the one I really wanted to go to was in Manchester in the north of England. It was the world-renowned for piano teaching and piano, anything to do with piano, basically, and that was my dream. The problem was, as you can see on that picture, it was a very beautiful part of the country. So whilst I should have been practicing the piano and studying I was at the beach. <laughs> and I'm very ashamed to say that my attendance record for those two years was 49%. I know. Don't worry, it gets better. Um, <laughs> incredibly, there was no way I was going to get into a Royal Conservatoire, but I did get offered an unconditional place to a place called the Leeds College of Music, which is in the north of England. No way near the calibre of a Royal Conservatoire, but it was, it was pretty good. So you'd think, you know, I've got an opportunity, but I didn't embrace it. I just carried on the same. So 18 years of age, I go to this college of music, still in, filling my life with the same stuff. Relationships, selfishness, drinking. I think I was just burying all the hurt. My two years, grade 11 and 12, I'd wasted. Put your hands up if you're in grade, if you're age 11 to 18. Just put your hand up. If you're age 11 to 18, okay. You guys need to listen this morning, okay, because this is going to really resonate with you guys. Don't waste your life. Don't do what I did. Um, so anyway, so I have three years doing my degree. I'm living all the same. I get to the end of the three years, and what do you do next? I still dream of going to a Royal Conservatoire, but I just, I'm not good enough. Uh, you know, the reality's dawned. So I move back home at 21. Yay. 
<laughs> We've made it in life. This is a picture of my mum's village. By my mum's village, I don't mean she owns the village. Um, you know, we're not, we're not a wealthy family. But she lives in this, it's a very picturesque uh, village. And actually, this, this is from a postcard. It really does look just like that. Do you want to know the name of the village? It's called Oakford Fitzpain. You try and spell that on the phone when you try and explain it to someone. It's a nightmare. So I go back to live at my mum's, and I, I decide, right, I've, I'm going to do a two-year plan, and I'm going I'm to work. Finally, I'm going to get my head down and do some work. So that's what I do. I've got an optimistic two-year plan, at which, at the end of the two years, I'm going to get myself into a royal conservatoire. That's what I'm going to do. So I get a full-time job at a leisure centre. I think your nearest thing will be a YMCA. So it's got like a gym and a swimming pool and stuff. So I have a full-time job there. And whilst there, I meet some really great friends. Whilst they were great, there was a problem with these friends. There was a group of them. And I got on really well with them. But they were born-again Christians. I mean, some sort of happy, clappy thing. It wasn't really my cup of tea. Um, Anyway, so here I am, I'm back at my mum's, I'm working, I'm finally practicing the piano properly, probably for the first time ever. Got this two-year plan and, and I meet these really cool friends. Two things happen, this is around the year 2001, so it's a while ago, I'm ageing. Um, the first one was, out of this group of friends, one of these Christian girls, completely randomly at the time, says to me, so Chris, do you think you're going to go to heaven? What sort of a question is that you just come out with? So I replied, well, of course. I mean, I was brought up Catholic. I've never killed anyone. I've never stolen anything. Well, nothing, nothing major. I mean, maybe, maybe, you know. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a good person, right? So obviously, I'm going to go to heaven. But I did, I did clarify with her, but I'm not a religious person. Okay. Well, and, and then she replied, well, it's not what the Bible says. So what does the Bible say? And she says, well, the Bible is very clear that unless you know Jesus, you're not going to heaven. Well, I thought that was a bit outrageous. Who is she to tell me whether I will or will not go to heaven? Um, and I did highlight to her, you know, that I'm not religious. And, and she said, well, I'm not religious either, but I have faith. So the problem was, I didn't let anybody know, but that had gone deep. I, I was like, I was unsettled. The second thing that happened during this time was this group of friends said they were going camping. Did I want to go camping? Uh, and I was like, well, when is it? And they told me this week. And I said, oh, I just happened to have that week available in my diary. You can see the fingerprint of God starting to happen here. Um, so I was like, oh, this sounds really good. Um, well, how many people are going? And they said, well, we're all going. I went, oh, great. I said, are any others going? They went, yeah, there's about five or 6,000 people will be there. So what sort of a campsite is this? I said, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Uh, you mentioned something about music. Is it like a festival thing? They were like, yeah, kind of. And I said, what else goes on? They went, well, there's kind of talks as well. I went, these God talks. They went, yeah, yeah. I said, this is a Christian festival. They went, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, pause that one a second. I also get invited to go and audition at the Royal Conservatoire of Music in Manchester at the same time. Fingerprint of God going on. And I said to my piano teacher at the time, what do you think? And he said, well, there's no way you'll get in this year. You know, it's, like it's been less than a year. Why don't you go, get the experience, and then next year when you actually want to audition, you'll know, what, you know what, what's going to happen, and you know, you'll get over the nerves and all that. So I, I get on a train, I go a really long journey in the UK, it was six hours, okay? 
any further than that, you're in the sea. So I go all the way to Manchester. I do my audition. I've just gone for the experience. Um, the audition goes pretty well. And then they, they said to me, well, what we normally do now is we've, we've heard loads of people. There are two places. One is a fully paid for place and one somebody you have to pay to come. It's expensive. Um, they said, well, we send everybody away. We go over all the auditions and we do recalls. We bring back a few people we want to hear again. And then we offer the places. But they said, We're, we appreciate you've traveled such a long way. Um, so if you want to wait around today, we'll then give you the feedback so you're not having to travel back. So fair enough. So I wait around. I was really intimidated because everybody was better than me at this college. Everything I could hear was like, whoa. So I wait around. At the end of the day, they call me into the office and they said, well, listen, um, you know, you've got an interesting route about trying to get into a conservatoire. It's not the normal route. Um, your piano teacher's written you a really good reference. Um, you haven't prepared very well at the college of music you went to before, but we see some real talent, so we want to offer you a place. Not the fully paid for one, you'll have to pay for it, but we want to offer you a place for September. And I was like, next thing I'm on the train heading home going, what's going on? And within days I find myself at this Christian camp called Soul Survivor. Some of you may have heard of it. Um, I've got a bit of a reputation for being a bit of a joker. Um, and yeah, I'll tell you a quick story just to give you an example. So all of this is going on. I've just been offered this conservatoire place. Life's looking pretty awesome. And I go to this Christian camp because I've realized what my friends need is somebody like me to go and help and explain to them that they're clearly being brainwashed, you know. So I, I will take it upon myself to help them. So I said to my mum, I'm going camping. A friend said I can stay in his tent, but he said I should bring a camp bed, like an air bed. Have we got one? She's like, oh, yeah, there's one, there's one in the garage. And it's in a big black uh, bin, like trash can liner, uh, bag, whatever you call it. Big black bag. And, um, the mistake I made was I didn't look in it. I just took it with me. So here I am. We're at this, we're at this Christian camp. Uh, we get the tent all made. And then uh, I get this black bag and I tip it out. I get out of this air foot pump liner. And if you look at this picture, this is what came up. That's not an airbed. That's an inflatable mobile phone. <laughs> At best, you can maybe go on, on the lake with it, you know. But so Now, the problem was, was I, I liked a bit of a joke and stuff. And there was a TV program on at the time called Trigger Happy TV in England. You've probably never seen it. It wasn't even very good. But this guy had this fake mobile phone that was about five foot tall. And he would go into the worst places like an art gallery or a museum. And he would creep up behind people. And he'd go, hello, I'm on the phone in a museum. And people get really offended and everyone who watched it thought it was really funny. So I, I get this inflatable. Th- instead of thinking I'm not going to sleep well, I was like, this could be fun. <laughs> so I get, I'm literally in this picture, I'm going, hello, I'm on the phone at Soul Survivor. And all my friends are like, ah, that's really funny. And then they go, why don't, you, why don't you go to that camp group there and do it to the, see if they find it funny. I'm like, okay, I will. So I go with my six-foot inflatable yellow phone. I'm like, hello, I'm on the phone at Soul Survivor. And they're like, oh, that's really funny. And I'm like, I'm clearly the funniest guy in this entire campsite. I should be a stand-up comic. Anyway, um, that evening comes and uh, we go to this big meeting. I'm I'm intimidated by these. There's about 6,000 young people and there's this worship music. I've never experienced anything like this before in my life. The problem was, is my friend said to me, 
I bet you wouldn't do the mobile phone trick in the main meeting. <laughs> and I went, I bet I will. <laughs> so we're at the back of this meeting. There's 6,000 people. The worship's incredible. We're half an hour of worship. Everybody's going crazy. And, and I like to pick my moment. So as the worship's finishing and everybody's starting to sit down, the meeting leader starts to get up. That's my moment to rise. <laughs> So I take my six-foot yellow phone in front of 6,000 people and I go, it's pitch quiet this moment. Hello, I'm on the phone at Soul Survivor. At which point I genuinely expect 6,000 people to look at me and go, oh, he's the funniest guy ever. What actually happened was 12 people who were from my group turned around, started crying, laughing at me, whilst the other 5,986 people turned around, look at me and go, idiot. Oh, I was horrified. I'm like, burst it, destroy it, pack it down. What a nightmare. And then I find myself at this very same meeting where I've just done that. I'm the, I'm the class clown now. At this very meeting is where God would meet me. I mean, God loves a sense of humor, doesn't he? It's epic. So here I am. Um, I'm at this camp. I'm at this meeting. And I'm, I'm still wrestling with these questions of like, you know, this girl had put that seed in. Do you think you're going to heaven? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I know Jesus. Does he know me? I just don't know. And it, was, it really bothered me. I was probably more bothered by being embarrassed at that moment. But, the, but I was still wrestling these questions. Anyway, this guy called Louis Giglio, an American. You might have heard of him. Uh, he was the guest speaker. And he came up and he did a very, very simple illustration of the gospel. Um, and that's what I want to finish up by sharing with you guys. Um, and this is what transformed my life, and hopefully, praying will impact you too. So, let me take this little Tupperware box here. Um, and this is going to represent, this certainly represented me at the time, but I'm going to write, I'm not going to write me on the side, I'm going to write you, because this represents all of us. So, if I write that on the side there, can you see this over to my left? Here we go. I'm going to put it down here. And, Anybody watching at home is probably going to be squinting their eyes now. Um, so if this represents you, this represents me and our life. Um, as I was growing up, I was saying about the sorts of things I was filling my life with. Um, I'm going to use this little Tupperware box, a slightly smaller one. And this is going to represent what we fill our life with. So this was me, 2001. And I was filling myself, filling my life with things like popularity, um, greed... Uh, money was a big one. I mean, I thought that was it. You know, if I could have a lot of money, then I would be happy. Dating, I kept getting involved in the wrong relationships. I had a real issue with swearing. I haven't got time. I've got a funny story about that. I'll tell you another time. Or if you ask Meg, she'll tell you. Um, and I was incredibly selfish. And the problem was, is whilst I thought I was a pretty good person, I mean, I hadn't killed anybody. I hadn't stolen anything major. The problem was, is that's what I was filling my life with. And... The issue was, and as this guy Louis Giglio explained, was um, the Bible has a word for this stuff, and it's called sin. And sin is basically anything that falls short of the glory and the holiness of God. You know, I might have looked at myself and thought I was, I was doing okay. Um, but I wasn't, because that's what was, I was filling my life with. I was filling my life with sin. And Romans 5.12 says this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in the same way, death came to all people because all have sinned. I don't know if you were like me, but at the time, if this was me and this is you, 
I was filling my life with this stuff and I thought I was doing okay on the outside, but inside it was just full of the wrong stuff. And the problem was, was even if I thought I was okay, when God was looking at me, what was he seeing? What could God see in me? He could see sin. You know, you can try and add things in. You could, you know, put some good morals in. I was quite, I was quite good morally. Um, you know, you could try and, you could even read a bit of the Bible or you could maybe go to church a little bit and put that in as well. But the problem is, what does God see when he looks at you? I was living for the red part of the string. No consequences, no idea of eternity. But praise the Lord that he had a plan. He had a plan for me at that moment on that camp. And he has a plan for each and every one of us. A cosmic miracle that changes everything. 1 John 3, 5 says this. I'll go do the other one first. Romans 5, 6 says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. You know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. Because in him is no sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our life as crazy as it is and so undeserved. I definitely didn't deserve it, especially after that inflatable phone trick. He takes our life and he deals with our sin once and for all on the cross. Destroys it, gets rid of it. And he wipes away our sin, which is just Incredible, isn't it? I mean, when I was having this revelation at this camp, I was just thinking, wow, it's just not fair, is it? It's just, it's just not right. Why, why, would, why would he do that for me? That's amazing, isn't it? We could stop there, and that would be pretty cool, but it doesn't stop there. Because if we go to the next slide, Colossians 1.27 says this, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, that's all of us, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not only does he deal with our sin and wipe it away, but Jesus comes and lives in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now when God looks at us, what does he see? Exactly. And we could stop there. That would be really cool. Because that's pretty powerful, isn't it? I mean, You should be getting goosebumps at this moment, that God would do that for you. So undeserved. But that isn't it. There's more. You know, in the story in in scriptures, when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, it was leading up to the point he would be betrayed. Uh, Everyone would turn against him. He would then be taken away. He would be tried. He'd be tortured. He'd be beaten for us. He would then be crucified on a cross. Before the Gethsemane moment, he prayed. And it's recorded in scripture. First of all, Jesus prays that he might be glorified. He then prays for his disciples. And then do you know what he prays for? Do you know who he prays for? He prayed for you. He says this in John 17, 20 to 21. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they be in us. Not only is Christ in us the hope of glory, but we've got bigger Tupperware boxes. (laughs) 
Let me write this one here. Jesus prays that we might be in him. So now, our sin has been dealt with. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And we are now in Christ. That's incredible, isn't it? We could leave it there, but there's still more. You know what we need? We need a God box. Yeah, there we go. Just to pause for a second. So I went to Walmart to get these. I mean, Walmart's huge. I mean, it makes the English supermarkets look tiny. So imagine this. Here I am, this English guy, new to Canada, and I'm walking through Walmart with these giant Tupperware boxes, and I decide to go to the self-checkout bit. Have you, have you ever tried to scan things when you have no spare hands that are this big? I'm like that. Anyway, fortunately, one of the guys came to help me. So, this is our God box. Let me write that in big writing on the side. Here we go. Because Jesus doesn't pray. He plays plural, doesn't he? He prays, may they be in us. So now we are Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are in Christ, and we are in God. That's awesome, isn't it? Should we leave it there? Wait. No, because there's one more step to go. <laughs> There's one more step to go. Ephesians 1.13 says this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to seal your relationship by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we're thinking of Pentecost today as well. What do you guys call this? Gaffer tape? Duct tape? Gaffer tape. We call it duct tape. I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> Doesn't look like a duck. <laughs> there we go. Sealed in the Holy Spirit. That is a born-again Christian. Sin removed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You in Christ, you in God, sealed in the Holy Spirit. You know, when I heard that illustration back in 2001, bearing in mind I just did the silly mobile phone trick, um, they gave an opportunity for people to respond. And I really wanted to respond, but, you know, I made a fool of myself already. There's thousands of young people there. And, and they, you know, they said, you know, this is going to be the big, biggest decision you make of your life, so we're not going to make it easy. We're going to invite you to come down the front. And I'm like, oh, wow, you really have made this difficult. So everyone stood up, closed their eyes, and I was like, I really, really want to, want to go forward. And I opened my eyes, and I'm halfway to the front. I'm halfway there. And I just suddenly had this revelation of, like, who cares what people think? I'm about to meet the risen Lord. Who cares what people think? I'm about to meet my Savior. Anyway, I go forward. They pray for me. And as they say, the rest is history. And hopefully I'll get to tell you some more of the story at some point. My life completely changed in that moment. I was living for the red part of the rope. I had no idea of the eternity. Suddenly, my eyes were opened. My life changed in a moment. But that's my story. How about you? You know, whether you're here this morning watching online, where are you at in your relationship with God? When we look at this illustration where are you at in this illustration have you received Jesus into your life has Jesus dealt with the sin 
in your life? Or are you just trying to add things in? Are you trying to fix it? You can't fix it yourself. You need Christ in you, the hope of glory. Are you in Christ? Are you in God? Are you sealed in the Holy Spirit? It's the biggest question you will ever be asked. It's the biggest question you ever need to answer. Where are you at in your relationship with God and the Trinity? You know, this morning it's a reminder of Pentecost. Pentecost, a time when the Holy Spirit descended, birthed the church. Incredible story. But that wasn't just for a moment. That was the start. And the Holy Spirit's been working ever since. And the Holy Spirit is here this morning to meet with you, to change your life. Maybe you're here this morning or listening online and you've never, you've never been able to say that you're in Christ and Christ is in you. You've never been able to joyfully declare that you have this relationship with God. Well, we're going to give you an opportunity this morning to respond. Same opportunity I had back then, to be brave, to be bold, to meet with your risen Savior. Because you, this morning, can be in that illustration. You can be in Christ, Christ in you, hope of glory. Jesus is calling you to him this morning. Maybe you are here this morning or listening online and you think, no, you know, uh, yeah, amen. Uh, That's me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. (laughs) I could get up and share a similar testimony. Well, if that is you this morning, then you have something incredible and it's called good news. It's news that you have a mandate to share. You know, when you're at work tomorrow, why not pray that God gives you an opportunity to speak to a colleague? Or here's a a really practical challenge for you. If you can identify completely with this, if you can say that that's me in there. Jesus has dealt with my sin. I'm in him, in God. I'm sealed with the Spirit. Here's a challenge for you this week. Why not text a friend today and say, let's meet for a coffee this week because I've got something amazing to tell you. That's all you text, okay? Maybe they'll say, no thanks. But what if they say, okay, let's meet for a coffee. And what if you get to share your story? And what if you get to tell them about Jesus? And what if you get to witness Jesus and meet with them? That's got to be worth the risk, yeah? You know, we have a mandate. We have a mandate to go, to tell, to make disciples.